You're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. This podcast is a roundtable conversation with clergy from three quite distinct Anglican communities within our city, all three of which are currently practicing online communion online Eucharist, which means not only do we celebrate in the church, but those who engage us online have communion elements set up in their home and participate in that way. This is something none of us imagined doing, oh, eight or ten months ago. But slowly over the summer, fall, and into the winter, it became a practice, a reality. Joining me in the conversation are Dave Labden, the incumbent of St. Aidan's Parish in Winnipeg, Jennifer Sisson from the Church of the Good Shepherd, and Rachel Twig, vicar of St. Benedict's Table. It's good to see you all in this way this morning, via Zoom video, but recording with Zencaster. And uh, we're going to have a a bit of a roundtable, maybe half an hour together, on our own community's experiences of celebrating an online Eucharist in which people participate from their homes, something I'm sure none of us considered a possibility a year ago. But then as the months passed, it became something we wanted to think about and then practice. But before we go there, we are represented from three very different communities, Rachel and I from St. Ben's, Jennifer from Good Shepherd Parish, Dave from St. Aidan's. Could I get the three of you to give just almost like the elevator pitch that describes the community with which you, in which you minister? Good Shepherd is located uh, in the south end of Winnipeg. We opted to sell our building a number of years ago, just given its kind of physical state and what was going to be required in maintaining it, um, and the fact that it was rather a hindrance than a help to to exercising ministry. Uh, So we relocated to the same neighborhood, which was important to people after doing quite an investigative search as as to our options. And I think it's been... um, it's been well received by far the majority of folks um, have stayed and have formed either created new relationships or deepened um, prior ones that existed with members of um, Trinity United. So what was important to us was that this not mere, merely be a rental situation, but partners in ministry, given given we were um, living with another congregation. And that has happened, I think, in sharing Bible studies and um, some worship together and, you know, some fundraising and, and various community activities. So it is um, it is a very um, highly populated area of um, newcomers and mixed ethnicities. So there's lots of opportunity, I think, and lots of need for neighborhood engagement. So I will leave it at that for now. Thank you, Jennifer. Rachel or Dave, tell us about your communities. So I'm from... Um St. Aidan's Church. Uh, we're situated in the centre of the city in some ways in, in River Heights. Uh, we're probably not your typical Anglican church for different reasons. We, In our worship, we try to be um, sacramental and charismatic and evangelical. 
our congregation is uh, a whole mix of of backgrounds um, coming from different different churches, different denominations. Um, we have a good spread of demographics in age and gender and population, and we try to reach out in a lot of different ways. We work with um, the local youth centre with those in custody there to try and just share with them the love of Christ. Uh, we're connected with a place called Naomi House uh, downtown, uh, which looks to enable people who are coming to um, the country uh, as immigrants to find a, a place and a, a way to connect to uh, communities. And we also have a history with a Christian school that was started um, 25 years ago that is now independent, but we're largely connected with them. They have two campuses, uh, one in the North End and one using uh, property within Calvary Temple. And so we're a whole mix uh, with uh, a very different type of worship in some ways, which focuses on very definitely traditional Anglican worship, uh, but also contemporary. Uh, so it's an exciting place to be and a very loving and warm uh, bunch of people to work with. So I feel very privileged to, to be there. Rachel, you want to give it a shot? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so my name is Rachel Twig, and I am the vicar at St. Benedict's Table, which is an Anglican congregation um, that also meets in somebody else's building. So in uh, normal times, uh, most of our worship would be held at All Saints Anglican Church in downtown Winnipeg. We're a congregation that seeks to be deeply, deeply rooted in the Anglican tradition, but not in a way where we're seeking to have it preserved as a museum artifact, but as um, as something that is living and therefore also changing and, and adjusting to the time. So we stay rooted to that, but in, in a life-giving way. Wow, that's a, that's a good elevator speech. I think I want that one. <laughs> this is why you go third. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. So I'd love to hear from, from each of you a little bit about how you came to consider a practice of online Eucharist in which people would set out elements in their own home and participate digitally. Um, how did that how did that come about considering doing that? In fact, the issue was was raised by one of our parish leaders, just wondering, could we do it? Is it possible? And um, that piqued my interest. And having heard also about you folks who were also um, contemplating this kind of act, I felt that um, it would be a very good thing to be included in. In fact, our first um, online Eucharist was with Bishop on Christmas Day. Um, we use Zoom as our platform, and I find it works exceptionally well, you know, as well as I could imagine, given constraints of, um, of this way of meeting, in that I have no doubt that it's an authentic gathering. And I don't think anyone else in the community would either. And so I think part of what I'm interested in hearing from you as we as we move forward with this is what are the barriers that I expect are there for for whether it's clergy or, or lay folks, you know, invalidating this kind of gathering? It kind of arose after our 
uh, first lockdown, when we were allowed to sort of meet again or meet in the open, there was um, a real hunger for the communion and a real concern that if we went into full lockdown again, how do we share communion and experience communion? Um, as I mentioned, we have quite a number of people in the church who come from different denominational backgrounds. So uh, I went round a number of our small groups. We, The majority of our churches kind of split up into small groups that meet on a regular and individual basis in, in homes uh, and so on. And they were wanting to understand what they would be able to do as a small group and as a church if we entered lockdown again. Um, and a lot wanted to understand uh, why the Anglican Church celebrates communion in the way that it does, why it, it needs to be a priest to uh, bless and administer in some aspects. So we went through a kind of learning process together to understand each other's understanding of communion and how we celebrate. Uh, and we sort of did a little bit of training for people who would like to help administer when we're in service. Uh, and we also did a, an instructional Eucharist just to explain each step of the way. And we recorded that and put it on our, our kind of website and YouTube platform for people to be able to, to look at. So when we went into lockdown again, um, it was just a very natural progression. Uh, people uh, were very peaceful about moving in this direction. For those not of an Anglican church background, it was something that they had probably done in a similar way to in their previous churches. And I think the only difficulties that we may have had were for those who were very traditional in their Anglican stance and understanding. And so they struggled with it, I think, a little bit to begin with and almost needed permission to be able to, to move forward in this way. Uh, but the feedback we're getting from people is that it's just very special and very wonderful. And while we're separated physically in isolation because of the current lockdown, it helps them to feel very much connected spiritually and joined together. Our live streaming's done with a, a YouTube platform, and uh, it seems to be working very well, in, although there's often difficulties with um, uh, people's sound at the end, uh, end user side, if you like, but it's, uh, it's working well. Good. Thank you. Rachel? I kind of went through the evolution of my thinking on this issue in a fuller way in one of the earlier or the first podcast that we did about online Eucharist. So maybe we can also just pop that in the show notes and I'll encourage people to go back. That was a fun conversation with um, Bishop Jeff and Jamie talking about this as well. But essentially, I think it was about May of last year. So we'd been through lockdown, things were loosening up a little bit. And I had been leading liturgy online for the first time and developing a real appreciation and interest in the opportunity that online liturgy provides and how it had never occurred to me until I was put in that situation that I and the church in general have, have always privileged a certain type of person, a person who is capable of arriving at a specific building on a specific day and at a specific time. And while I deeply, deeply miss that kind of worship experience, 
online allowed us to open up and connect with folks who have uh, disabilities or have chronic illness or live in remote places. And I was really interested in exploring the opportunities that online worship in general provided. Um, As part of that, I was connecting with um, fellow clergy across North America, observing other people's services, doing all this kind of stuff. And sometimes I saw people doing things where I was like, that's great, but it's not for me. That's great. I really want to get on board and try that. Or no, thank you. There was a certain degree of no, thank you as well in what I was observing. And so I said to Jamie, I said, I'm not quite sure, but I feel like my theology on the Eucharist is shifting through these experiences. Initially, when we were all encouraged or expected to fast from Eucharist, I thought, okay, that's a good thing. What can I learn from this? I I went into it kind of grumpily, like I would prefer not to fast from Eucharist, but maybe God has something to teach me in all of this. Um, But from that experience and my observations, my my thinking was starting to expand and, and, and shift. And so I had um, some time off and I have a friend who's a theologian in the States and she indicated that she had been part of a round table talking about some of these things and it had been recorded. So I watched that when I was on vacation and I did some deeper reading. And then on the day when um, Jamie and I were essentially handing off, I was coming back to work and he was getting to re- ready to go on holidays. I said, I feel that we need to speak to Bishop Jeff and ask about the possibility of being able to offer online Eucharist. And I feel this for a variety of reasons, but all, but in particular, there is an argument that has been made in the Roman Catholic Church that the church has a moral obligation to provide priestly ministry to the people. And so if you cannot do that with single men who are priests, if you don't have enough of those, it's not okay to just say, sorry, people can't have priestly ministry. You need to shift the paradigm because there's an obligation to provide priestly ministry. And so in in a similar way, I felt like part of my role as a priest is to feed the people through the Eucharist. And I have a moral obligation to do this. And it is not good enough to simply say, sorry, there's a pandemic. We can't do this. We needed to be able to explore and stretch the paradigm. So that began began a conversation between Jamie and I, and then a conversation between Bishop Jeff and Jamie and I, and then this extended conversation. In terms of teaching, we started to lay the groundwork in sermons, beginning with a ser- one sermon I did before we had permission and before we were even talking about online Eucharist, just inviting people to explore how are you coming to online worship? How are you setting your space? Could you build, Could you be thoughtful about having a candle? Could you do something about the space itself? Like beginning to set the stage for that. Then we added different pieces of that as it was appropriate in the process. We did these podcasts, uh, collected some articles and other resources, and all of those things are available um, on our website. Additionally, we put together a almost like a spiritual direction or an awareness examine type sheet where people could go through. It's also on our website and explore like, what are your previous experiences of Eucharist? What do you hope or expect to experience the first time you engage in an online Eucharist? What are you learning from this that they could explore? And after we've done this for a period of time, reflect back their learnings um, to us on the broader community as well. It was at that, that handoff point right at the end of July, beginning of August, we had that conversation. There was part of me that was like, 
I had not thought about this before. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to think about this before. I'm a graduate of Trinity College, Toronto, <laughs> which, you know, had a very high liturgical sensibility, particularly in that day. But I think, I think Rachel's right. I think we have to think about this. So there was a handoff of the book, which was Deanna Thompson's Virtual Body of Christ, and, and a link to the video. The interesting thing for me about Deanna's book is it actually it was written several years before the pandemic, and it didn't even talk about online Eucharist. It talked about her experiences as somebody who was facing a, a you know, a very serious illness, potentially was going to kill her, and her experience of a whole community rallying around her virtually. People that she'd known for years who were supporting her that way, people she'd never met who who connected through support groups and things and just got her thinking about, oh, this is actually very real, even if it's done in this way through screens and so on, and, and encouraged her to rethink some of her assumptions about the church. I found that very compelling, very helpful bit of reading to do. And then she went on after that in pandemic times to, to write more about what Eucharist could be. And one of the things for me that was very important was she had this emphasis on preparation and that really encouraging people to, you know, not just sort of rush at the last minute and grab whatever bread happens to be in the bread box, but, but, but think in advance and set a little bit of a, a sacred space and maybe with a candle and a, and a, a bit of linen or something set out take care to create that little sacred space. And personally, because Rachel and I alternate Sundays right now, every second Sunday I participate from home. And um, I found it very important to take the time to set that space. And it, I've also found that I need to be very intentional about turning off the phone not having something bubbling on the stove, going to a Eucharist in church as a as a participant, I, I know how to do that. I know how to take my place in the in the pew and be with people and be in in prayer and stillness. From home, I've had to really condition myself to not be restless, to just be, and that's an ongoing thing. Uh, Jennifer, Dave, I, I don't know if if you've participated from home because you're presumably presiding but it's it's an interesting thing to have both sides of that experience yeah i well if i can just respond so i um so christmas day um i did participate from home because the bishop let uh presided from from his office and so as you have just said we invited people to consider how they prepared beforehand you know having a small cloth you know a small plate a candle enough bread for those in your household right and i think this could be explored more deeply the sense of meaning imbued in that act itself has been i think profound for people no, I haven't um, been able to. I'm the mainly sort of the celebrant at St. Aidan's, so haven't experienced it personally from home. Uh, what, one thing I forgot to mention, though, that is, uh, I think, very helpful for people is that when we are acting as a celebrant, we acknowledge 
that people at home are actually taking part in communion in this way. And uh, what I've been doing is as I prepare the table or have my hands washed or, you know, the different stages in the communion, I explain what I'm doing and I'm encouraging the people at home to to do the same uh, in their own preparation. And the, the feedback on that is, is uh, that that's genuinely helpful. And the, the other aspect is that um, what seems to s- stick out most for me is that if you're a, a single person at home and taking part, it's a wonderful way for you to feel part of the church as a whole. Um, and if you're a family with quite a few people or you're able to meet with another person and you partake in this way uh, and you uh, are able to administer to each other as the communion takes place. Uh, it, the sense of being together and uh, being joined to the Lord in the body uh, seems to be very positive indeed. So I honestly, I find it very exciting. I think the Lord's giving us so many opportunities in this challenging time, and it's, it's just wonderful to see how the body does grow and respond at this time. The first time we did this, so people were preparing and there was, you know, a degree of excitement around for some people at that point in time, you know, eight or nine months without having access to Eucharist. And we had also put on our website, it's um, it's still there, the bread recipe that we typically use on a Sunday. And people started the day of people started sending me uh, photos like via text or whatever and like, it was the bread that they'd baked sitting on their oven or the the way they had set their space with with candles and flowers and and it was it was so encouraging and so lovely to see the the depth of care folks were taking and also i i think we have a lot to learn but i think we did a pretty good job of trying to tell people that like what you like it's the care not the physical pieces that matter so for some of our folks who are lower income like find what you have that works. It's your intention that really matters. If somebody else has a fancier tablecloth, that doesn't matter. <laughs> but it's about can, can what what works in your context and what you have without adding other layers of complication and the the variety. Getting to sort of see a glimpse into people's homes and how they set things up, and then sharing those photos as a community was such a lovely piece of the process. And we were. It was the third Sunday in Advent was the f- first one that we did. And so there was, there was sort of hints of uh, Advent and the approach of Christmas on many of those, uh, those tables as well, which, I mean, Advent has been such an important season for St. Benedict's Table. In many ways, it, it's, it's favored over Christmastide by lots of people, just for various reasons. And, and we've, our songwriters have written a lot of stuff for for the season of Advent. So it was really, really appropriate that we began those celebrations in that season and then carried through. Maybe a hard question to answer, but do you think you now know something about the practice of Eucharist and a Eucharistic community that you didn't know six months ago? It's the question of, what is what is God doing? What's God awakening us to? So what do we now know from this odd experience of pandemic and this opening experience of communion like this? Two kind of streams of thought that aren't fully formed for me around this. One is this has 
um, pushed me to expand my view of God. God is always bigger and more powerful than I think God is. And this, this pushes that to be able to say, God, God can be anywhere. God is in my congregants' homes. So it's just broadening my view of, of God and who God is. And then the second piece is, um, as I've chatted with other clergy who very respectfully have concerns or have questions or aren't quite sure about this because it's for sure not usual Anglican practice, what I'm discovering over and over again is um, just how similar these two things are. So people will say, well, what if somebody doesn't partake uh, reverently? And I, I think seriously about these questions because I, I want to do the right thing as well. And I think, well, what if someone doesn't partake reverently in church? How would I, how would I know? <laughs> yeah. and, 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 it, and so like I'm learning more about both ways we do this through people's questions and through the experience. I think the, th- the biggest thing, um, the whole issue of the pandemic, I think, has really challenged us as a, a church about our foundations and what we rely on and what we think we rely on. And I think when we've lost a certain amount of things that we're used to in church life, um, the ability to sing and worship together, meet together, uh, communion together, uh, it suddenly makes us consider what is real uh, and what is of vital importance. And what I believe I see going on in our church is just a very genuine recognition of the the need for God and the need for one another and the blessing that the different forms of worship God gives us actually are and the the essence, uh, sacredness and wonder of the communion has really kind of hit home for for people and made people really, I think, value it more. And uh, I think because... Uh, we have to worship in the way we are at the moment. It's almost helping us to connect more in in a sense spiritually with what the early church could possibly have been like with meeting in homes and uh, breaking bread in its different understandings in that way. And uh, the joy of being able to, to do something together in, in a different way is really kind of its home as well. And, and I think the final thing for me would be the um, the fact that this just shows for for me what the the church actually is the body of Christ and the you know different denominations have a different richness and different values that they add but the real church is the whole body uh, it's not just the Anglican Church or the Catholic Church or the Baptist Church it's the the body of Christ, and in some ways, this pandemic is breaking down those barriers all the more, and getting us down to the root of what it is being church, and the pleasure and joy of sharing communion in, even in this very unique and strange way, just accentuates that and causes it to be more of a, a blessing and more of a, a journey of understanding and growth. So I think that's where I would come from on that so many thoughts swirling around, but I'll just try to identify um, a few and maybe just picking up, Dave, on what you had said about, um, so being the one body, what I've, I, I think, 
has been raised for me and and I think others too is that people have a role to play in the Eucharist. This is not a spec it's not a spectator sport. You know that they are participants in the blessing. That's that's how it is blessed is by virtue of us gathered. However that gathering takes place in 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 my view. So looking more critically at what what is role of presider, role of people, a resource that I've um, shared with people and that I found helpful too are, you, you may have seen on the Anglican Church website, the essays on Eucharistic um, practice and sacramental theology. And a couple stood out for me, essay by Richard Leggett and um, one by Andrew Mond and hers. Actually, we're going to be having further conversation at our annual meeting, and I've cited part of it, you know, where she speaks of um, us, so the people of God as the bread that is broken and shared with the world right so we are the true the true sacrament as the body of Christ and so then in that view so what how does that shape our understanding of um of eucharist as well so um those are just some of the thoughts that come to mind can i just add one thing jamie um sure thing and and this is a question that is sort of being asked not just myself of myself but um you know members of the church is what actually occurs what actually happens at the eucharist at the communion you know with all the different views you know ranging from transubstantiation to an act of remembrance um and when we're separated like this and sharing communion what is actually happening how is christ joining us what is the work of the holy spirit what is the you know the purpose of the elements what's happening in the bread and wine and i think they're the the big discussions and debates that are going on in people's hearts and minds um and the aspect of that that i particularly love is that it's making them ask more deeply who is the lord jesus uh, what is church and how do i know god and how do i live in a relationship with him um so i think it's very exciting in in so many ways this has been a really lovely conversation. It's been lovely, good to connect with you. And Jennifer, I really appreciate you bringing to the fore and that reminder that uh, Eucharist is something we do. It's a corporate act and we maybe have some different roles, but sometimes I think it can be easy to get all too focused on what the priest is up to, as opposed to what is happening as we do this together. So it was really lovely. Thank you. I would agree. Thank you all for joining in this conversation. And I, uh, I hope that the coming days and weeks of all the unknowns will bring small graces and surprises of the Spirit to each of, uh, each of our communities. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for hosting, Jamie. You've been listening to a roundtable conversation with leaders from three different Anglican communities in Winnipeg, exploring and wondering together about what this new practice of online communion might mean for us as leaders, as Christians, as part of the church. I'd invite you to consult the show notes where we'll provide links to each of the communities involved in this conversation, as well as a link back to some of the earlier podcasts in this series on online communion. The music for this podcast is by Steve Bell, We're grateful to Steve and to Signpost for giving us permission to use his music. 
It's his recording of a song written by Gord Johnson, Embrace the Mystery, something of a standard at St. Benedict's Table on Sunday nights. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. Thanks for listening.